Uh, I want to start uh, with a quote from a famous Shakespeare play that you may know, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, in that play, Juliet, at one point in the play, uh, says this. She says, what's in a name? Uh, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And what's her point by saying this? She's saying, uh, well, what does it matter about the name? The name isn't important, whether you call a rose a rose or whatever. It's still a rose. It's still, the thing is still the thing, no matter what you call it, no matter what you name it. So what is the purpose of the, the name? What's the, what, what is in a name? And, and today we're going to see that in the Bible, actually, quite a lot. You know, if we look at ancient Jewish culture at that time, names were very important. Uh, God would often change people's names and it would signify uh, something important about them. Uh, think about Abraham, for example. His name means father of many. Israel means uh, striving with God. Uh, or you think about names that actually tell us characteristics about God. Uh, we think of people like Joshua, which uh, his name means God is salvation. Uh, or Josiah means God heals. So we see the importance of names in the Jewish culture. And I want to spend our time today looking at one of the names that's given to the Messiah. So we, we heard, read in our, our scriptures that the angels came and pronounced peace uh, to the shepherds. And when they did, this is what they said in Luke 2, uh, 14. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the name, angels announced this peace. But 750 years earlier, Isaiah uh, prophesied and foretold of, of the one who would actually bring this peace. There would be this Messiah, uh, this kingly anointed figure who he gives a number of names to. And then we saw that in Isaiah chapter 9. So let's read that again. Chapter 9, uh, verse 6. This is what Isaiah says. He says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of peace. And there, there is so much packed into those names. We could spend a whole sermon series unpacking just what those names are. Uh, but for our time today, I want to just look at the last one, Prince of Peace. Uh, Isaiah calls Jesus the, the, the prince who, who brings this peace that the angels announce. And so I want to ask, what does it mean for Jesus to be called the Prince of Peace? What does it mean for him to be called the Prince of Peace? We're going to just look under two headings. We're going to have a, a number of points under them, but the two headings are this. Uh, what is the, the nature of the peace uh, that the prince brings? And then what is the character of the prince? The nature of the peace and the character of the prince. Uh, so let's jump into it together. Uh, the first thing I want us to see about the nature of the peace that the prince brings is that it is primarily a peace with God, primarily a peace uh, with God. There are other pieces that the prince will bring. There is an everlasting kingdom of peace in heaven that will, will come. Uh, there is peace that Jesus brings between uh, humanity, between different people, especially between uh, Christians. Uh, but in the New Testament, we talk about peace. We're, we're usually referring to peace with God. Peace with God. Romans uh, 5.1 makes this uh, clear. If we look at that uh, together, this is what it says. It says, uh, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so that means we've been declared righteous uh, by faith, by trust in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you'll hear in our culture, sometimes uh, people will talk about peace with God. Uh, usually when someone uh, is close to death, uh, you might hear someone say to them something like this. They might say, have you made your peace with God yet? Meaning, meaning, do you know what's going to happen after death? Are, are, you, are you at peace with God? Why do people ask that? 
Well, people ask it because peace with God is the most important question of our life. It doesn't matter what we've done in our life. It doesn't matter our achievements, our successes, our legacy, if we don't have peace with God. But you don't need peace with God unless there's a war, unless, unless there's a conflict going on. And what we see in the pages of scripture is it paints the picture of a cosmic warfare that is going on between humanity and God. Uh, ever since the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the kingship of, of God. They rebelled and they were expelled from his presence. And, and, and the war began. Uh, the, the, the way back to God was guarded with a, with a cherubim and with a flaming sword. And, and like uh, the wall that, that goes down the middle of Berlin, or, or did, uh, east and west, there is now a wall between God and humanity that no one can come between. There is an immeasurable distance between God and humanity. And that that war that that was kind of instigated, that rebellion that started with Adam and Eve, continues today in each of our hearts. Uh, We wage war against God with the weapons of our thoughts, our words, and our actions. All of these are contrary to his kingship and his lordship over all things. And so the question that that humanity has asked for for all of human history is how do we have peace with the divine? How do we have peace with the gods? I mean, many many cultures have given different answers to this, many different religions. Maybe there's certain things we need to do in order to have peace with God. Maybe there's certain sacrifices we need to give. But Isaiah here, he, he prophesies of a child. A child that will be born that will be called the Prince of Peace, who will bring peace to all of humanity. So that's the first thing we see about the peace, that it is primarily a peace with God. The second thing I want us to see is that it is a peace worth having. A peace worth having. I mean, I mean God is not going to send angels to announce this peace if it is not a big deal, if it's not worth having. Uh, think about Apple and their big Apple events that they hold or announce all their products. They don't do it if they don't think their product is something that you should have. It's worth having. A God does not send angels for no reason, right? He, he sends an army of angels to announce this peace that is worth having. The problem is, is that most people in our world, and even perhaps us within the church, we don't think that peace is worth having. Uh, peace with God. Peace with God seems kind of abstract. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like something we really want or need. What our culture, what our our, our hearts incline more towards is something like world peace. We, we want peace in the world. We want, we want the, re, the wars to stop. We want the injustice to end, which is good. But we, we want in our hearts, like the, the Star Trek utopia, the peace on earth that would be like, man, there's, there's no fighting. Everybody gets along. We just fight the Borg, a couple random Romulans, and we're good, right? Peace on earth for humanity. That's what our hearts desire. But we see throughout all of human history that there is a constant cycle of war and peace. War and peace. The, the, the peace that comes in our world, uh, it's usually temporary. It's always temporary. It's in a, a small location, perhaps for a certain, small amount of time. Perhaps there's, there's reigns of, of peace for, for lengths of times, but these, these, these reigns always come to an end. Right? We, we see this even in the, the end of the First World War, for example. Uh, that was the war to end all wars. It, w- it was a massive bloodshed. Uh, millions of people died. And, and at the end of the war, 
uh, there was a sense among the people of the world that this is a new chapter for humanity. We've seen the destruction of war. We, we, we're starting up the League of Nations. Uh, there, there's high hopes for what humanity can do now. We've seen the destructive power of war. We want to pursue peace. But what happened? 21 years later, on the same soil, it's the sons and daughters of those who fought before who are fighting the battle again. See, peace is, is temporary. The reason we can never have lasting peace is because the way we try and get peace, it, it never works. We ha- we've diagnosed the problem wrong. We, we think, okay, if we, if we can get the right governments or the right leaders, perhaps uh, maybe we need the, the right education uh, for our children and our youngsters, maybe more cross-cultural experiences, maybe technology holds the key. But none of these deal with the actual problem, which is the human heart. The, the problem is inside of us, not outside. That's why it's been a problem for all of human history. Nothing can, can change what we see because the problem is in here. We need something to change our heart of sin. But see, that's exactly what peace with God does. Uh, peace with God changes us. And th- that's why it's worth having. Peace with God is a peace that actually changes our inside. It changes our heart. Uh, look, for example, at this uh, photo. This is a, a photo from uh, the First World War, the no man's land uh, that was uh, a large part of the war. This one, I think, is from Flanders Field. Uh, you can just see the landscape is totally desolate. Uh, the trees are barren. Uh, there is just mud everywhere. It looks like there is no sign of life at all. You can see there's artillery holes and craters. Uh, there's probably ammunition uh, scattered all across uh, this land. It is a, a desert wasteland of a place. But uh, look at it the, the same area a hundred years later. Look at how different it is. You see the grass and, and the trees growing. It looks like there's, it's teeming with life. There's a beautiful picturesque place. Uh, there's still scars that remain. We can see some of the places where there were craters. We can, we can see that. But if you didn't know that a war had taken place, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that. So what needed to happen for no man's land to change into that, that beautiful picturesque forest? Well, the fighting had to stop. There had to be peace. And the same is true in our hearts. Uh, we cannot bear fruit of the Spirit. We cannot bear uh, the, the buds of, of righteousness uh, unless... We have peace with God first. If there is war, it is going to be a wasteland in our souls. There's going to be a wasteland in our heart until the fighting stops. Peace with God is worth having because peace with God changes us. And in fact, if we look throughout all of human history, there have been hundreds of thousands of people who have felt that this peace is worth having. Uh, So much so that they are willing to go as missionaries, to go as people to another place, another culture, another people, uh, often at at huge cost to themselves. Because they they thought that this peace with God was worth having. And they wanted others to know it too. It's a valuable peace. It's not a cheap peace. It's a costly peace. It's one that costs the death of the prince to get. Right, when we, we measure something, how valuable it is, well, what did we have to pay for it? It costs the death of God to get us this peace. This peace is not a dollar store peace. It is not plastic. It is made of gold and diamonds. 
It's not made in a, a factory. It's, it's crafted by artisan hands of our prince himself. He is the one who formed and brought us this peace. It is a peace worth having. But it's also a peace worth having because it brings us close with God. Right? That's the, the, the ultimate end of our peace with God is that we would come close to God, that we would be reconciled, that we'd be brought near, that that dividing wall would be, would be broken down, that the immeasurable distance would be, be closed, that we would come and sit in our Father's lap, that we would come to God to be close with him. And when we're close with him, there's a, a sweet comfort for our soul in the midst of that because we have relationship with God. We have communion with him. We know him and he knows us. There are many storms in our life. We may have the outward appearance of peace, but there are many storms that rage within, of anxiety, of fear. And just like Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, he calms the storm. And what does he say? He says, peace, be still. So too, in the same way, Jesus calms the storms of our, our life with the peace he brings with God. So my question for us is, uh, do we think this is a peace worth having? Do, do we love this peace? Do we actually want to be close with God? Is this a peace worth having? The third thing I want us to see is that this peace was given freely. Uh, usually, uh, when uh, peace is secured by two parties that come together to negotiate peace, uh, usually what happens is the losing side of the engagement, uh, they are forced to uh, kind of pay in some way. Perhaps it's they have to give up land, uh, maybe they need to be occupied for a while, they have to downsize their military. Uh, there's some cost to them actually gaining peace. Uh, if we think about the, the First World War again, this is uh, what was the case. Germany and the Central Powers, they, they came for peace to the Allies, uh, the Treaty of Versailles, and what, what came out of that? Uh, Britain, France, other powers, they said, hey, you guys have cost uh, Europe a, a lot. You have devastated the landscape and the people, millions of people have died and we're blaming you. And uh, so you're going to have to pay for it. And what did Germany have to do? They had to give up land, they had to give up a whole bunch of land, and they had to pay an enormous sum a sum that today would be worth about $33 billion. It's, it's, a, it's a, a debt that could never be paid back. And so over the, the years, the debt was reduced and reduced. But even with that, uh, Germany just finally paid off its debt in 2010. 92 years after the First World War ends, Germany finally paid for peace. See, peace for Germany came at a very high cost. But with the Prince of Peace, we see exactly the opposite. He, he does not ask us to do anything, to pay any price. He says, I'm going to give you peace freely. Right? If we look at our, our text, what does it say at the beginning? It says, uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Right? It's just the birth of this child is a gift to all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a gift to us. Uh, there's no negotiating, no bargaining. There's nothing like that. We just simply receive the, the, the gift of peace, receive the terms. But they aren't harsh terms. They aren't terms that impose anything that we need to do. In fact, it's the opposite. 
what we see is, is God says, I'm going to give you peace and I'm going to shower you with spiritual blessings. It's not you need to do something for me. I'm going to do all this for you. It's like if, if Germany came to the allied powers and instead of them saying, okay, here's land, here's uh, money you need to pay, they were like, okay, Germany, we have peace, but what we're going to do is we're going to give you land. And in fact, we're going to come in and we're going to rebuild your country for you free of charge. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has given us much for peace and we did nothing to earn it, deserve it. It was all by grace. So that's our, our, our three things we can see about the nature of the peace. We see that it is a peace with God. Uh, it is a peace uh, that is worth having and it is a peace that is given freely. Uh, but I don't want to just leave us looking at what kind of peace we have, but I want us to see the kind of person who brings the peace. And so our second heading is the character of our prince. What is the kind of person who brings us this peace? Well, first, we see that our prince desires peace. He has a desire for peace. See, Jesus is not required to give peace in any way. Uh, he is going to be the victor of this war. Our rebellion against him will fail. Uh, he will come and, and he will win. And usually in a conflict, it's usually the losing side that comes to the victor and says, please, uh, can we have peace so you don't just wipe me out? But in this case, we see Jesus coming to us. Jesus is initiating peace even when we don't think we need it. Even when we're still in the midst of our rebellion, our weapons are still in our hand, he comes with peace. I mean, we know how hard it is to desire uh, peace, to desire what is good for those who are opposed to you. Because when we are, we're in the midst of an argument with our, our family or a friend, you know, when you're in the heat of that, you're like, you don't want peace for that other person. What you want is you want them to know that they're wrong. You want, you want them to know that you're right. You, you don't want peace for them. You want them to feel your wrath and your anger. But Jesus, Jesus knows he's right. Jesus knows he's going to win. But still his desire for us is peace, even in the midst of that. Uh, let's take a look at Romans uh, chapter 5 again. Uh, just a couple verses uh, down from where we read about having peace with God. Uh, this is how it describes what Christ did for us. It says, uh, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he pursues peace with us even when we want to keep fighting. Even when we want to keep rebelling against him. But this is encouraging for us because in the, the midst of our sin, I, we are prone to wander. Still, we have peace with God, but we're, we're prone to pick up the weapons of a rebellion again. To know that Jesus' heart for us is still peace. 
He is marching towards us. Right? Our, our sin can no more deflect his, his march towards us than a spider web can deflect a speeding bullet. Christ's heart is peace for his people. So his first thing we see about the prince is that he has a desire for peace. Uh, the second thing I want us to see is that he is a humble prince. A humble prince. Uh, when we think of royalty, when we think of those in positions of authority and power uh, during a war or a conflict, uh, usually we, we kind of think of them far removed from the field of battle. Maybe they're off in their, their castle, they're in the war room, they're maybe moving troops around, but these people are not on the front lines. Not so with our prince. Our, our, our prince does not stay back on his throne. He comes himself and enters no man's land. He comes and puts himself in the line of fire. A powerful people don't usually humble themselves uh, to serve those who should be serving them. Right? If you think about the queen, the queen does not come around knocking on the door of her subjects asking to wash their dishes. Right? A, 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 the prime minister does not come around and do your taxes for you. Right? A CEO does not clean the toilets of his customers. But God, God became an embryo to bring us peace. The, the one who made every galaxy, formed every star, every atom, he put on flesh and dwelt among us. See, I think part of the problem is we, we, we never grasp the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth because we never actually grasp the grandeur of Jesus. We never actually realize how great and how marvelous and how wonderful he is. So we think less of the incarnation. What I want to do for us uh, now is I want to read a, a portion of Colossians 1. It's a little bit longer, uh, but I want to just go through it to give us a sense of the majesty of Jesus. And what's so interesting about this passage is that right at the end, Paul kind of takes a turn. He says, this is, this is Jesus who had the fullness of God in him, but yet it's this same Jesus who decided to die a criminal's death, who made peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, so look with me at Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 15. Uh, speaking of Jesus, it says this. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Everything, every tree, every flower, every plant, every human, every animal, created by Jesus. All things were created in heaven and on earth. So not just the things on earth, also the things in heaven. Visible and invisible. Not just the things we can see, the, the, all of the spiritual realm Jesus also made. There's things that he's made that we can't even see yet. That's amazing. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He didn't just make them, he made them for himself, for his own glory, to show his purposes and his greatness. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? Making peace by the blood of his cross. See, Jesus humbled himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that's the third thing I want us to see. Not only is Jesus a humble prince, not only does he desire peace, but he is a sacrificial prince. He's a sacrificial prince. Jesus did not send somebody else. He did not send an angel. He did not send a messenger. He did not send a human agent or a cohort. No, he came himself. He humbled himself and came at great cost, not just to his kingdom or to his rule. He came at cost to himself. By his blood, we are healed. There's nothing that we do to bring us peace with God. Right? It's not our service to God. It's not our successes. Our, our, our peace comes only because of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The, the cost that he bore, the pain that he took on, the agony as he walked the road to Golgotha. Our, our prince is, is the royalty who says, I will give my life if, if there will stop being a war, if it will bring peace in the nation. I'll gladly do that because my desire for my people is that there will be peace, even if it means cost to myself. I heard the story of a, a guy who was told what many are told when they are diagnosed with a terminal illness. And that is, like I said at the beginning, people say, go and make your peace with God. This was his response. He said, I don't need to make peace with God. Peace with God was already made for me 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Peace with God is not something we do. Peace with God is something that's done for us that we receive as a gift by our sacrificial prince. So that's the character of our prince. He desires peace. He is a humble prince and he is a sacrificial prince. Uh, lastly, I want to close our time by giving us some application. Uh, five brief applications uh, to close our time. We'll go through them uh, one by one. Uh, first application. Get peace with God if you don't have it. Get peace with God if you don't have it. Uh, see, the rebellion eventually is going to end. Uh, the rebellion will be crushed, it will be put down, and the king will rule on his throne again. And the question is, what side will you be on? Right, we are called uh, as, as, as people, as humanity, to cast down the weapons of our warfare, to break the arrows of our sin, to unload the guns of our rebellion and say, to sin, I want you no longer. Those things that we have fought with, we no longer will. We will set them aside and instead we will just trust in the offer of peace. That means what it means to have faith in Jesus, to simply trust in his, that the offer of peace is a genuine offer that is open to us. And that by believing and trusting in his death and resurrection, that we actually come into communion with the, the triune living God. We are to be reconciled to God. Make your peace with God. It is the most important thing you can do. Because we are like a soldier on a battlefield. A soldier on the battlefield who does not know what moment or what hour will be his last. We don't know where the bullets are going to fly. We don't know where the, where the artillery will land. But we know that there's an offer of peace and it's being held out to us. 
And so the question is, are we going to find, use our remaining moments to fight against the prince? Or are we going to fight with him, for him? Application number two. If we have peace with God, don't make peace with sin. See, just because we are pardoned uh, doesn't mean we should go and keep committing crimes. Right? We, we can no more have peace with God and peace with sin than we can paddle both upstream and downstream at the same time. Right? We can't be citizens of two kingdoms. We don't have dual citizenship of the, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. No, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And when we do, then we're saying, no, I, I, I don't make an alliance with God's greatest enemy. No, I'm going to fight against sin in my life because I have peace with God. And what that means is we are not going to be happy to say to our sin, we're not going to say you can come this far and no farther. We are not going to say, you know what, the the battle, I'm going to stop for a bit. I'm going to stop fighting my anger. I'm going to stop fighting against my lust and my pride. No, we are every moment of every day. We We are praying. We are looking for opportunities to get that sin out of our life. To resist the temptations. To put to death sin and pursue the fruits of the spirit. We are looking in everything to make that sin gone entirely from our life. We, we may never achieve that on this side of heaven, but that's what we aim for. We aim for that sin to be totally gone and we fight against it until it is. There is no terms of peace with sin. We can't believe the lie that, that this is as good as it gets. That I, I fought it as much as I can. We keep fighting until that sin is put to death. So let me ask you, what is the sin that you are prone to make peace with in your life? Like, what, is, what is the sin that you are willing to let fester and grow? That you're willing to say, you, you can come this far, but no farther. And you are not relentlessly pushing forward in your battle against sin. Third application. We are to pursue peace with others. Uh, See, Jesus has given us, he has brought a great peace to us and we are to give peace to others as well. We are to be people who are marked by peace. It's one of the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace. In everything that we do, in our relationships, in our business transactions, everything we do is to be marked by peace. And I want to say to us, especially in relationship to other Christians, we are to be people of peace. Right? Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are fighting a war against Satan. And what happens too often is that we turn our guns on ourselves. We begin a civil war and we make no advance against the kingdom of darkness because we're fighting amongst ourselves. As people in the kingdom of light, we are to be people of peace. Not fighting over secondary issues, but instead turning our eyes towards the enemy and advancing. So where might God be calling you to pursue peace? How might he be calling you to follow in the footsteps of your prince? who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Where are we called to pursue peace with others?
Fourth application. Consider that our peace can never be taken away. Our peace can never be taken away. See, if our peace was given to us while we were enemies of God, while we were disobedient and rebellious, God will not take away our peace because of our disobedience. He will not take away our peace because of anything we do because it was given as grace freely. And what that means is no matter what happens in our life, death, uh, life, famine, nakedness, sword, anything, we have peace with God. So when, when we are going through sickness, when we are lying on our bed feeling awful, our, our, our hearts, our, our souls can run to the truth that we have peace with God. That is where our joy stems from when, when the financial market is not going how we want it, when COVID is lasting way longer than we hoped. Our soul runs to the truth. We have peace with God. What can take away our joy? See, we can know that the things that are happening in our life, if we are not an enemy of God, it means that all the things that he is allowing in our life are not him working against us. He, he is not fighting against us, but he is actually fighting with us and for us. The things that are happening is God's work of sanctifying us, of, of glorifying himself and, and bringing about our greatest good. See, even in death, even in death, our peace is not taken away. In fact, death does not take away our peace. Death amplifies our peace. While we're here in life, we are, there is so much unpeace. There is sin, there is conflict, there is strife. When we die, it is only peace with our prince. Our peace can never be taken away. Last application. We are to draw near to the prince. To draw near to the prince. This Christmas season, uh, we have a tremendous opportunity. We have an opportunity to draw near to the one who's brought us peace. Uh, there may be less uh, family celebrations. You may have days off. You may have extra time with which you can draw near to the prince. The whole point of the prince bringing us peace is that we might have relationship with God. If we don't actually draw near to Jesus, why has he brought us peace? The whole point of Christmas is to remember that Jesus came as a baby. He came and then he lived a life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. So that we might have peace with God and know him now and forever. So we might celebrate, we might rejoice this Christmas in our prince, the one who has brought us great, wonderful, lasting peace. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful that you willingly sent your son, Jesus. You, you, you sent your son, the prince, out of the castle. You sent him into the front lines knowing he would die a sacrificial death on our behalf. But it was to bring back your people and to glorify your name. And so I, th I pray as we think about Christmas, as we think about the Prince of Peace, our, our joy would grow. Our joy would grow as we celebrate, as we rejoice how great Jesus is. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.